0: Thank you, guys. Um, So our gospel reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. I think you'll recognize it once you start hearing the story. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. But the father said to his slaves, "'Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. "'Put it on him. "'Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, "'and get the fatted calf and kill it, "'and let us eat and celebrate. "'For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. "'He was lost and is found.' And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, "'Your brother has come.' and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattest calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of God. For us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The story of the prodigal son. Um, a well-known story. Um, a story we learn early on in church. We, it could have a lot of names, right, if you kind of go through the cast of characters. Um, the story of the ungrateful son. The story of the jealous older brother. The story of the merciful and forgiving father. And there's so many places you can go with this story. So many places that we see ourselves in the story, even at different points of life. But have you ever asked yourself, why does this story get told in the first place? What prompts Jesus to share this parable of a son ready to take his inheritance before the proper time and tradition to do so, To go out into the world, make terrible life choices, waste it all, return home broken and willing to take whatever place he can, only to be greeted by a father who runs out to meet him in the road, arms wide open, ready to receive, ready to feast and celebrate. Why does Jesus tell this story? Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus took a seat at the table with people others thought he shouldn't sit with. Or another way to look at it, Jesus provided a seat at the table for those who had no seat. And oh, what a difference a seat at the table makes. Jesus was criticized for his open arms response to the so called sinners with whom he shared table fellowship. So he tells a story, multiple stories, in fact, if you look at Luke 15. Now, there's something that struck me in this story or in this reading this time that kind of hasn't before. Um, people grumbling about who Jesus chooses to share a table with prompts this story, but the story also ends with grumbling, right? Did you hear it? I never really noticed before that the story is bookended by individuals complaining about and questioning who has a seat at the table. In the beginning, it's the religious leaders. At the end, it's the eldest son. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. They replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And the brother became angry. And refuse to go in. A story bookended by individuals questioning the open armed embrace of one who has not earned a seat at the table. What Jesus says to the religious leaders, to the elder brother, to us, is that a seat at the table matters. It matters because it says to the one seated, you matter. Your life matters. No matter what you have done or what you will or won't become, you matter. And that proclamation, that particular practice of embodied faith, the opened, armed embrace, the seat at the table, that may just be... The act of reconciliation that allows one to believe, yes, I do matter. God loves me, welcomes me, accepts me, calls me, puts a chair out, and invites me to take a seat and feast. That's a commentary I was reading this week that said uh, Pharisees, older brothers, solid church people like us, need to be reminded that all those outsiders are not only God's children, but our brothers and sisters. They have a seat at the table. Our job as church, as those who have gathered in this space professing our faith in Jesus Christ, is to set the table, to invite to pull up a chair alongside, and to rejoice. God has entrusted the ministry of reconciliation to the church to aid in that great work, to mend that which has been broken in our midst. To, um, as our communion liturgy reminds us every month, to look forward To that final feast in which all shall be gathered as one at your table and all manner of things shall be well. Now there is a piece to this story we do have to name, a piece you may already be naming in your head, but what about this? Um, We can provide all the seats we want, but at some point you and I had to choose to take a seat the same goes for everyone the son had to choose to return home so that he could receive the open-armed welcome you see part of the ministry of reconciliation it does involve confession and repentance There's a confession in the United Methodist Hymnal that's used for the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's the one I grew up saying every month, every time we came to participate in the sacrament. The last line, free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Free us for joyful obedience. I came to love that line later in life. We kind of tend to hold confession and repentance in such a dark light. I know there's many. um, I have friends and colleagues um, who struggle with church because of the weight they feel placed on confession. This idea um, that some churches and some Christians have given off that we are all just terrible people and we have to constantly beat our chest and beg for forgiveness. Kind of makes me sad that because of the way that we have chosen uh, to represent confession and repentance, that we've lost some of the freeing beauty and joy of confession because of how harsh maybe we've made it or that it's always been toward someone else, not us. Um, Instead of leaning into the freedom and the light of it, I do believe in the power of confession, I do believe in repentance and forgiveness, and I kind of hold them in a different light because of that line, free us for joyful obedience. There's freedom and falling into the open arms embrace of a God who expresses deep, deep joy when reconciliation occurs. Reconciliation between us and God And reconciliation between God's sons and daughters, one to another. There's deep joy. And we're invited to pull up a chair and celebrate, to feast. So yes, I say free us. Free us from believing we are God. Free us from the fear of what might happen if we don't guard close enough. Free us from jealousy and greed. Free us from creating us and them. Free us from the grumblings of those who just don't get it. Free us from believing it's our table to begin with. Free us for joyful obedience. Now, we had a real-life debate over who gets a seat at the table um, take place right in front of us this past week. And please, please, please don't misunderstand. I am in no way trying to meld religion and church and the Supreme Court hearings over a confirmation. Um, that's, that's not how I'm trying to hold this. But if you listened to even pieces of this past week at those confirmation hearings, if you heard any of what was spoken as the first black woman takes those steps or the highest court in the land, if you heard any of it, you can't tell me that a seat at the table doesn't matter. That this stuff that Jesus addresses and names and teaches doesn't have real life meaning and value. That we don't live this out, this us versus them, daily. Gosh, we just can't seem to see Step away from this deep-rooted belief that we can't exist in the world without categories and boundaries and borders. That somehow the world won't work if we let everyone have a seat at the table. Corey Booker had a few words that spread that made the rounds, and I only share his because there's one part that jumped out to me as I was putting all of these words together. He said this. He looked at the judge and said, I see my ancestors in you, and nobody is going to steal the joy. You are worthy. Why does he say no one is going to steal the joy? why are people celebrating because people who have for so long been denied a voice denied a place they know deep in their bones the difference a seat at the table makes now i do have to admit one part of senator booker's comments he did tell her you've earned this spot and while that's true for her we don't earn this spot In the church, our place is prepared for us. Your chair, it's there. But we do have to choose to take a seat. We have to choose to be part of the celebration. The story of the prodigal son begins and ends with grumbling over who has a seat at the table. And in the end, the father desperately tries to bring the older brother into the joy of the celebration. We don't know if he succeeds, if the brother decides to join in. But the father says, nobody's going to steal my joy. How sad when we miss deep joy when we miss celebrations, when we can't enjoy the feast because we can't quit focusing on who's seated at the table with us or who should gain access to the table to begin with. Practicing embodied faith means preparing a table, putting out the seats, inviting others to join us in the celebration of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I will brag um, for a moment on my church. I'm proud to say that more than one, more than two, there's been a handful of visitors who have joined us over the past month who have reached out to me to say that this was the most welcoming church they have visited, the most hospitable. People spoke to them. Um, So it matters. (laughs) Keep it up. And I thank you for that.